0: Welcome to Tales Told Whenever I Feel Like It. I'm Tim Prossel. This is a story that I'm reading by request. The request came on Twitter. I can't promise that I'm going to honor all requests, but I'll certainly consider them. And I had a pretty easy time saying yes to this one because it's one of my favorite Edgar Allan Poe stories, A Cask of Amontillado. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat at length. I would be avenged. This was a point definitely settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the Avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my good will. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared he prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity to practice imposture upon the British and Austrian millionaires. In painting and gemery, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack, but in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk one evening, during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley, He had on a tight-fitting, party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you are looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. How? said he. Amontillado? A pipe? Impossible. And in the middle of the carnival? I have my doubts, I replied, and I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado? I have my doubts. Amontillado? And I must satisfy them. Amontillado? As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchesi. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me, Lucetti cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no, I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive that you have an engagement. Lucchesi. I have no engagement. Come my friend no it is not the engagement but the severe cold with which i perceive you are afflicted the vaults are insufferably damp they are encrusted with nitre let us go nevertheless the cold is merely nothing Montiato, you have been imposed upon and as for Lucchesi, he cannot distinguish sherry from amontillado thus speaking fortunato possessed himself of my arm putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a rocolaire closely about my person. I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent, and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The pipe, he said, it is farther on, said I, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned towards me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. Nighter? he asked at length. Nighter, I replied. How long have you had that cough? (coughs) 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 My poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It is nothing, he said at last. Come, I said with decision. We will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me, it is no matter. We will go back. You will be ill, and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucchesi. Enough, he said. The cough is a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true, I replied. And indeed, I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily. But you should use all proper caution. A draft of this medoc will defend us from the damps. Here I knocked off the neck of a bottle, which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mold. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. I drink he said, to the buried that repose around us, and I to your long life. He again took my arm, and we proceeded. These vaults, he said, are extensive. The Montresors, I replied, were a great and numerous family. I forget your arms, a huge human foot, Dior, in a field azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the, the motto? Nemo me impune la quesit. Good, he said. The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the medoc. We had passed through the walls of piled bones with casks and puncheons intermingling into the inmost recesses of catacombs. I paused again and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by an arm above the elbow. The nitre, I said, see, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we will go back, ere it is too late. Your cough, it is nothing, he said. Let us go on, but first another draft of the midoc. I broke and reached him a flagon of de grave. He emptied it in a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upwards with a gesticulation I did not understand. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend, he said. Not I, I replied. Then you are not of the Brotherhood? How? You are not of the Masons. Uh, yes, yes, I said. Yes, yes. You? Impossible! A mason? A a mason? I replied. A sign? He said. A sign? Um, it is this, I answered, producing a trowel from beneath the folds of my roquelaire. You jest! He exclaimed, recoiling a few paces but let us proceed to the Amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath the cloak and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, and descending again, arrived at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow, than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt, there appeared another, less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains, piled to the vault overhead in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth side, the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall, thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still interior recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no special use within itself, but formed merely the interval between the two colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs, and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain that Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavored to pry into the depth of the recess. Its termination, the feeble light, did not enable us to see. Proceed, I said. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucchesi, he is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend as he stepped unsteadily forward while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress arrested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples, distant from each other, about two feet horizontally. From one of these depended a short chain, from the other, a padlock. Throwing the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was too astounded to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said, over the wall. You cannot help feeling the nighter. Indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me implore you to return. No? "'Then I must positively leave you. "'I must first render you all the little attentions in my power.' "'The Amontillado!' ejaculated my friend, "'not yet recovered from his astonishment. "'True,' I replied. "'The Amontillado!' "'As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones "'of which I have before spoken.' Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had in a great measure worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was a low, moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth, and then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes, during which that I might hearken to it with the more satisfaction, I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon a level with my breast, I again paused and holding the flambeau over the mason work threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment I hesitated, I trembled, Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I reechoed. I aided. I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this. And the clamor grew still it was now midnight and my task was drawing to a close i had completed the eighth the ninth and the tenth tier i had finished a portion of the last and the eleventh there remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in i struggled with its weight i placed it partially in its destined position But now there came from out of the niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognizing as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, (laughs) a very good joke indeed. An excellent jest. We shall have many a rich laugh about it at the Palazzo <laughs> over our wine. <laughs> the amantiado, I said. <laughs> yes, the Amontillado. But is it not getting late? Will they not be awaiting us at the Palazzo? The Lady Fortunato and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes, I said, let us be gone. For the love of God, Montresor! Yes, I said, for the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato! No answer. I called again, Fortunato! No answer still. I thrust a torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in reply, only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick Uh, on on account of the dampness of the catacomb. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century, no mortal has disturbed them. In pace requiescat. A Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. This is a tale that inspires probably hours of discussion, and I'll try to keep my comments to a minimum. I know that a lot of people who read this ask the question, what could possibly have been such a terrible insult that Montresor murdered Fortunato in such a horrible and well-designed way? It's open to interpretation, but I think the best interpretation, the best that I've ever heard, involves Fortunato being a member of the Masonic fraternity, the Brotherhood, as he mentions in the story. Why else would Poe have put that in there? If we take that and go on the assumption that Montresor is Catholic, His name sounds to me kind of French, so statistically there's a good chance of him being Catholic. It's also, the story takes place in a very Italian-feeling setting, so there's more Catholicism for you. Well, there has been centuries of tensions between the Catholic Church and the Masonic Lodge. I'm not sure what the details are, but I do know that papal edicts were issued saying Catholics do not become a Mason. If Montresor was a Catholic, then those tensions spill over. There's the insult, and there is a moment at the end where a panicked Fortunato pleads, for the love of God, and Montresor says, yes, for the love of God. So did Fortunato insult Montresor's God, and Montresor, being a very, very bad Catholic, And a very, very prideful man, even as he's telling the story, you can tell he's kind of bragging, let me tell you about this amazing murder that I committed. I fooled my servants. I used reverse psychology. I did the same thing with Fortunato. Man, I'm smart. Um, It appears that Montresor murdered Fortunato because Fortunato insulted his god. But we also know that the telling of the story is 50 years after the murder. So is this a deathbed confession? Do a little bit of math. 50 years. Let's say Montresor was 30 when he committed the murder. He's now about 80. He's at least thinking about death. And more importantly, he's a Catholic thinking about the afterlife. Where is he going to go? So this raises the question of did Montresor get away with murder? On one level, yes, absolutely, he never went to jail on a more spiritual level, he's got some things to think about now, If you're a fan of Edgar Allan Poe or would simply like to get to know him better, Brownbone's books offers a volume titled "The Lost Limericks of Edgar Allan Poe. It's made up of one hundred limericks that are about Poe's work, Poe's Life, Poe's World." and some that are just Poesque. esque Many of them are funny, silly. Some of them get actually kind of serious. Let me give you two relevant examples. A case of amoral bravado. No, never ignore Montresor. He rated repentance a bore. His deathbed confession seemed more like concession. Regretful, but prideful still more. In the grip of the grape, bad luck not to know Fortunato, whose taste for the grape made him blotto. With proud expertise, he rests unappeased, bone dry in an intimate grotto. Two very prideful men, one of them dead, the other probably damned. Once again, the name of the book is The Lost Limericks of Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like more sample limericks from it, Visit brownbonesbooks.com. Brownbonesbooks, all one word. I'm Tim Prossel. Thank you very much for listening.